Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Nick Davis! Nick Davis! I don't believe it! I see it, but I don't believe it! Hey, and welcome to I See It But I Don't Believe It. We've got a brand new episode today. It's very exciting because I have someone that I admire greatly here to talk about a team that is very impressive, but also your involvement in the team as well a little bit. I've got Emma Race here. How's it going? Hello, Jim. I'm so <laughs> pleased to be here and um, talking about the thing I love most in the whole wide world, don't tell my children. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's awkward. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about Hawthorne's first ever flag in women's footy today, um, but can you give us a little bit of background as to who you are and what you do and why you're the perfect person to talk to about this? Well, look, I reckon there's probably 22 other people who can talk about this better than <laughs> me, but um, I am, I've obviously been a Hawthorne fan my entire life. Um, as a child, I dreamed of seeing women wearing the brown and gold and playing footy. I dreamed of being that person, but um, that didn't happen until uh, two years ago. And Hawthorne was originally, um, the women's team was originally playing under the banner of Box Hill and then last season playing under the banner of Hawthorne. Um, through my love of football, I started a podcast with my sisters, um, three, uh, two real sisters and three metaphorical sisters. <laughs> uh, it's called the Outer Sanctum Podcast. And um, through that, the ABC picked up our podcast, which was just basically being made in the lounge room of my house. And um, we're all Hawthorne supporters. So that is what had bonded us. But um, talking about the social aspects of um, social inclusion via the prism of football has been kind of our jam. And women's football speaking to that yeah. more than I think the men's game and so we've just been having so much fun playing with the new code and and seeing all the stories that come out of it and all the ways that it's pushing the social um, boundaries yeah. and changing the community of football which is just something that I never really thought I would see but I can't believe that we're here you and I are here and yeah. all the people listening to this are here in this moment to witness it so it is um, a pure pleasure for me women's football seeing women playing in the Hawthorne colours um, has probably tripled the size of my heart and um, the Hawthorne VFLW grand final is right up there for me with the three-peat, with the 89, um, you know, with those big, with 2008, with the with the with all the history of Hawthorne. Yeah. It's been a real cherry on top moment for me. Um, I'm the number one ticket holder of yes. the Hawthorne um, Football Club, but um, 
that's only from this year, but last year, the last two years, um, the Outer Sanctum, we've all been the number one ticket holders of the women's team. So I feel like kind of a surrogate mum or a sister or a try-hard player or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) No, your enthusiasm is just infectious and that's what's so awesome about the Outer Sanctum and all that. I mean, it does break my heart that you're all Hawthorne supporters, (laughs) being a Sydney fan. (laughs) But no, it's um, I think it has opened a lot of people's minds to footy in general, not just about the women's game, but footy as a whole, which I think is a significant thing um, and can't be understated. So that's my little sanctimonious rant about that. (laughs) But more specifically, we're going to be talking about the 2018 VFLW Premiership and what led to that, um, it being Hawthorne's first. And to provide a little bit of context to kick it off, the women's Victorian competition did have a shake-up three, four years ago now. Uh, So it it changed from the independent teams to be more supportive and more included by the clubs with the AFLW's invent. So um, there have only been three premiers so far of the VFLW. Um, You were the first non-Darabin Falcons team. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And actually the changes to the VFL has really broken my heart yep. in a lot of ways. Um, and I've seen so many women pushed out who are administrators or um, people who are working at grassroots level of the game who haven't been recognised yep. with this new change. And so I really recognise that Hawthorne being a juggernaut of the AFL-M and the AFL in general, um, I was really conscious of of those kind of franchises monstering what's been a beautiful legacy yep. and trying to find a place to recognise um, that... Um, with progress, we need to find a way to look backwards as well as looking forwards. Yep. And so that's my daughter just okay. sniffing, at my, <laughs> sniffing at my shoulder. Um, so it seems kind of surreal to me that a year previous to this premiership, I was in the stands in my Darabin Falcons <laughs> jumper <laughs> and that my daughters, if you ask them who they barrack for, they all say Darabin Falcons because that's who they play for. So my heart is split between those two clubs um, in a really significant way. I do love Darabin too. And shout out to Alison Smirnoff, who is wonderful. <laughs> She's amazing. There's so many amazing people who've come out of that club and it's by design that I've put my daughters through the yep. Darabin Falcons Academy. Yes. I mean, they're eight and nine, so I'm sta- sounding like a pushy stage <laughs> mum. <laughs> I totally recognise that. No, but I think the exposure at a young age is really important that it is normalised because if it was a boy, no one would be saying that you're a pushy stage mom. They're just saying your kid's playing footy, right? They wouldn't. And the significance of my daughters playing at Darabin is that women's football has given them a really clear um, and supportive and enthusiastic enthusiastic pathway where when they went to a mixed Auskick, they had the same issues with the same boys that they have. And I'm not at all dissing boys and sons. I love them. I have six nephews, but the girls just don't get their hands on the ball and they don't have the confidence. They need their 10,000 touches, you know. Thank you, Malcolm Gladwell. Yes, and I mean that 100% was my experience playing Auskick as well and that's why I diverted to other sports too. So I think it's a universal issue that we're starting to see changes in. And I mean seeing the pathways that some of the new draftees are coming through where they've played footy since Auskick all the way through and haven't had any diversions. That's the most exciting thing. Yeah, it's extraordinary. And I don't – it's really funny because my eldest daughter is nine. I don't like to – she remembers a time 
before AFLW. Yeah. So she remembers the first season of AFLW. The others don't. They think they've always that it's always been around. Which is and so I, cool. Yeah, I don't want to let the genie out of the bottle because I don't <laughs> want to answer the questions of why, you know. And but now, but now they say that they want to play footy, and I'm always saying, "Great, and what will your other job be?" <laughs> Realism is also an important thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, so. VFLW is a relatively new league, but with very important historical roots. So we need to acknowledge that. But um, the Hawthorne team did submit, Hawthorne Club did submit a proposal for an AFLW license in 2017, but they were knocked back and they won't be included until at least 2022, um, which probably was upsetting for you, but understandable with the structure. Mm, yes and no. Upsetting to me, I was in the pitch in 2017. Yep. It was a really proud day. I went along with Emma Mackey, um, who at that stage no one really knew about, um, yeah. but she'd been such an extraordinary um, athlete in cycling. And um, at that time, Tracy Gordry was the CEO of Hawthorne Footy Club and Sean Burgoyne and Alistair Clarkson and um, Graham Wright, we all went in there to pitch with um, Tanya Galena, who has been an amazing um, pioneer of women's footy at yeah. the Hawthorne Footy Club, but she's been working in footy for, you know, over 20 years. Um, We went in there and pitched. I thought we had a really good pitch. Um, But I think that – I think the AFL, they didn't – they haven't – they didn't at that stage have a blueprint for their way forward. And to be honest, I don't know if they have one now. Um, So it is very frustrating. Hawthorne gets um, really slammed with this concept that, well, you didn't want a licence in the first instance. And, you know, your team, the Swans, same thing. They yep. went through the proposal and then they got to the end of it and went, we can't do this well enough. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the room. We're not ready to do this yet. And these are clubs that have really significant um, kind of history of fiscal responsibility. They are they they have been successful, but they're also very cautious. Mm-hmm. And so they just didn't want to push something that they didn't think that they could deliver on. But then what I've seen with Hawthorne subsequently, and I haven't seen this with the Swans, I know it's coming, um, but that Sydney is a huge issue with AFL, you know, take up and all that kind of stuff, is that Hawthorne have really lived by this Mm -hmm. and they've gone out and they've been... They've been really hard nosed at it. They've been very Hawthorne like, which will off you know put a lot of people off, I'm sure. <laughs> but they've been really professional about it. And what I think is amazing is that they've been able to retain players of the caliber of Beck Beeson and Phoebe McWilliams and Pepper Randall. When you think about the fact that we don't have an AFLW license, yeah, I think it's a huge loss to the competition. I think right now what we really need, and Adelaide Crows fans are going to hate me for this, but we need Port Adelaide to come into the competition yeah. to really split that Adelaide monopoly. And if Port Adelaide was brought into the competition, if they were ready to go now, I think Hawthorne would also be um, given the nod. But I think at this stage we are going to have to wait till 2022, which is going to be a year beyond when I'm the number one ticket holder, which is going to no. be like a knife through the heart. So, um, But I will do everything in my power. I'm always agitating for it. And I think that um, Steve Hocking and um, Nicole Livingston get sick of me asking. <laughs> but I won't stop. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really fascinating. It's obviously not the... The topic today, but I, touching on it is interesting. I think it's fascinating how different teams are preparing and the state that you're in is a huge part of that. So obviously the Swans have the academy. They don't necessarily have a local competition that they can do, but they've got the academy giving girls, young girls a pathway and there's a lot of father-daughters in that academy that's very exciting. So yeah. the Swans doing it that way, making sure they've got the facilities and grounds available. Hawthorne having a really strong VFLW team, creating that community. It's different clubs are doing different things. Yeah. And, and it's I, doing a lot. I found that 
quite kind of frustrating, I have to say, that at the outset when people were being asked to pitch for licences, there was no clear criteria yeah. for how they judged it or for what they were looking for. And that I found that really frustrating because yep. when you're playing a goal-oriented t- team sport, you have criteria. Like it would be the first time that they've ever not had a, you know, a pathway or a, a yeah. blueprint to follow. And it didn't, seems no strange. Sense. Yeah. It feels very seat-of-the-pants type. Yeah, situation. And we've seen that as with the development over three years of the national competition as well. So, I mean, we I guess we can just push and hope that there's a little bit more consistency here going forward. But let's talk about VFLW. I said that really loudly. I'm sorry. <laughs> In October 2017, Hawthorne were granted a VFLW license with a few other teams. Um there were six changes to teams going into the 2018 season and it was a 16-round season with three weeks of finals, which I think is what we all want to see at the national level. Um, and Box Hill coach Patrick Hill was appointed the Hawthorne coach, so he moved with the team across um, as the inaugural coach. And on the 1st of May 2018, the official team launch happened, which was a pretty impressive event. Um, but Patrick's speech was really, really wonderful. And I've just pulled a quote. Um, we must never lose sight of why we do this. While our ladies will be firmly focused on achieving success together, the impact they have in the community cannot be measured by wins and losses. And I think that says everything about women's footy in general. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. The whole speech is wonderful and I will link it to everyone. But that, that speech was really impressive. It could almost make you like Hawthorne. I don't hate the women's team. <laughs> no one hates the women's team, so they can't. The other thing that happened on that night was Jeff Kennett announced, and none of the players knew this, that, that Hawthorne was going to pay the players. Yes, which was the only, it's the first or only team, right? It was the first, and then others um, found it frustrating and um, cried foul, and others went, oh, well, we better come to the party on this. It's not enough money that these people can quit their day jobs, but the significance of it had girls and women who had had been named in the team in tears yeah and it felt like a real moment it was such a beautiful celebration that night I lost I was emceeing I lost my page I was all over the <laughs> shop Liam Shields had to pull me back together I was a hot mess I was bawling my eyes out it was I was all over the shop I did better this year I promise <laughs> but it is significant that uh all these women jump on board not expecting that because they just want the opportunity. And I think that says everything. But then to add that on top, it is it is significant. It is. And the other thing that I think that I'm really proud of Hawthorne doing is that they, at the end of last year, the VFLW team was recognised at the Peter Crimmins medal in this and elevated in the same way that the AFLM team was. Yep. And, you know, that ruffled feathers. There was hawk's feathers. There was, there was some people in the room who were saying, I don't understand why my son who plays VFL isn't getting the same kudos as these girls. But, you know, that's been a lesson and that's been a, a learning that the, that the Hawks have taken on and, and that's part of the reason I'm sure that they've asked me to be number one ticket holder so I can agitate and educate and have yeah. those conversations. But the ways in which the girls have been given access to the exact same facilities as the AFL-M team, um, been paid, you know, they've travelled, they've been given opportunities um, with their career. Like, this is a professional outfit. We are ready to go into the AFLW competition. Yeah. And when I watch this grand final, I can see the building blocks and Patrick Hill is a huge part of that. Yeah. And his his advocacy for women's footy in general is massive. Just what, follow him on Twitter, everyone. Definitely do that because yeah. he's just as outspoken as a lot of women are, which as much as you hate to say it, having a man's voice behind it does 
kind of boost your message a little bit, which is frustrating, but it's true. His emotional intelligence is something I've never seen in football before in terms of a coach. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's very challenging for the old guard, um, but the women and certainly the female supporters, I mean, he has become an icon yeah. and in this game for so many of us and that he's willing to put himself on the line and speak really, really hard truths that are really personal and really unpopular yeah. um, for a man to say it just demonstrates that we've got the right person at yeah, the helm. Yeah, 100%. Um, on that same night at the launch, captain was named as Emma Mackey, who you, t- you mentioned before, vice-captain Tamara Luke, and deputy vice-captains rounding out the leadership group, Steph Carroll and Lou Watton. And we'll touch on a few of these players later on because these are players that a lot of people probably don't know the names of, but they're significant in terms of the development of women's footy in general, not just at an AFLW level, but at a grassroots level. Um, but let's move into the season. So the Hawks won 12 and lost two, finishing second on the ladder. And I will mention where Geelong finished because that becomes relevant later. Uh, but Geelong finished fourth with 10 wins. Um, Hawthorne were showcasing kind of a contested game. They were clearing their forward line out, making space for the big star forwards in Phoebe McWilliams and Sarah Perkins, who had already made their name at a national level, whereas Geelong were kind of showing off that quick run and carry game. It was like a style that was led by players that were about to make their names big in Nina Morrison and Olivia Purcell. So it was a real juxtaposition between the two teams. It was, and when you look at the the Collingwood-Hawthorne game that led to Hawthorne getting through the grand final, that game was so different yep. to the Geelong game. Um, and, you know, it's notable that Hawthorne had only had three wins in the season previous. So I'd, I'd seen a lot of development, but Phoebe um, McWilliams, she just set the competition on fire in that year. Yep. Um, she was a blazing blonde forward, just taking these unbelievable, really spectacular grabs. Yep. And I think that it's weird watching her playing against Geelong in that <laughs> final, knowing what goes on to happen. Yeah. Um, it's a funny part of the story. But um, but also Perko, um, I was watching, she's, she's such a significant player. Yeah, and she's just got this really deft touch. So even if she doesn't always take a grab, she's always working. Yeah, and um, that's something that I just think people don't always recognise. It's so, so underrated it in is. our game and it, across any form of the competition. Work rate is so underrated, and it's frustrating that stats cloud people's minds as to how good a player is. And I've gotten into many a Twitter fight about <laughs> this, um, but it, it is frustrating because if you and I guess the the way. Uh, footy is broadcast probably doesn't help that because you don't see what's happening off the ball but because women's footy isn't broadcast as much you get to the games more and you do see that more so you can respect that more yeah um yeah she was massive but the Hawks had a really tough stretch kind of through the middle of the season they kind of fell over the line by less than 10 points in four consecutive games but that kind of solidified them as a finals team but it also probably set them up for a finals type game as well, didn't it? Yeah, and also they um, they kind of got cohesive at the right time. Yep. And what I really noticed, I specifically remember the Collingwood game because it was just so good. <laughs> um, Chantella Pereira playing on um, Chloe Malloy was actually, I saw it twice in that season, it was spectacular. Chantella yep. Pereira, I cannot believe she's not already been attached to an AFLW It's list. kind of crazy. She's so good. Um, but Rosie Dillon as well in that game, she has got, and she's in the leadership group now, but she wasn't last um, season. Yeah. She has become, she's got, she's, she's just a perfect football brain 
and she's 23 now, so she was 22 last year. Her body shape's completely changed this season, but last season you could see the footballer that she could be yep. and it was all about self-belief, but she really stood up in that Collingwood game. I think she kicked two pretty important and spectacular goals. I think it was two, um, but I remember just thinking, oh, we are on here. Like, <laughs> we are on, but then, of course, it flips forward to the next week and it was such a different game. Yeah. It was a real slog. Yeah. But I think we, we say it in the men's game all the time, but in the women's game it's even more so. Getting through those desperate moments in games and having the energy to get through a whole game like that sets you up so perfectly for finals. Yeah, that's true, actually. It was it was a spectacular game, but the def- I think the back six of our defensive um, structure for that team, which was the same, I think, going into both um, games, they were so strong they were yep. just a wall and you know that and Jade Van Dyke was kind of floating she wasn't even playing in a in a traditional fullback role at yeah. that point you think about the impact that she had last season in the AFLW um the names that were spreading across the back there were just it's spectacular scary. and then when you look at the fact that you've got um Phoebe um right up front plus Rosie and a lot of a lot of spread goal kickers yep. you know Meg Hutchins every time she has the ball and we will talk about this no doubt but um Oh, you just feel calm yep. when she's got the ball at half back or on a wing. You just, just that cool head. Yeah. And that comes with experience as well. Yep. And that's why the balance of Hawthorne's team, I think, was so impressive. Um, but let's talk about this final series because there were it, it's slightly different. It's a top four. There's two semifinals. Um, the winner of semifinal one goes straight through the grand, grand final. Winner of semifinal two plays the loser of semifinal one. So Collingwood played Hawthorne in the first semi um, and Hawthorne won 32 to 21, getting them straight into the grand final with a week off. Um, n- Northern Territory Thunder uh, played against Geelong in semi-final two. Geelong won 51 to 42, a bit more high scoring. Um, so Geelong proceeded to play Collingwood in the prelim. And uh, Geelong were really impressive in that game. And the thing was, they had a dominant display, but they're inaccurate. They kicked five goals, 12. So they really did control the game. They just weren't able to make the scoreboard show it. But when it comes to finals, it doesn't matter because percentage is nothing. Mm. Um, so Geelong won that one 42 to 28, leaving a Geelong Hawthorne grand final as a double header at Docklands. And when you hear the words Hawthorne Geelong grand final, I just want to run to the toilet. And vomit. <laughs> <laughs> it, couldn't, it couldn't be a worse result. <laughs> Or a Hawthorne or a Cats fan. <laughs> but the grand final was pretty exciting. The atmosphere at Docklands, I know that uh, people complain that there's no atmosphere there, but it was so much atmosphere at this game. Um, Sunday, September 23rd, uh, it was uh, before the VFLM grand final, which Casey were playing in and lost to you guys again. <laughs> that was, I mean, that's a really important part of the story, the fact that the um, Box Hill Hawks were playing in the lead, in the next game yep. meant that everyone was in and the community of people um, around Box Hill City Oval, which is where we play most of our footy, yep. um, it's a really tight family yep. and um, it just brings, it brings so many people from those leafy eastern suburbs <laughs> and it's a beautiful hub. It's a great ground. The thing that really really shocked me is when you get to um, Docklands. <laughs> I mean, I actually hate Docklands. Yep. Like, I really do. I think it's a real mood sucker. There was a lot of people um, at the ground, which was great. And I was running there from work, which was slightly frustrating. <laughs> but um, the ground is so big. Yeah. And it it brought back those memories to me of that. Um, do you remember there was not an exhibition game? It was a uh, State of Origin game. Oh, yeah, where that, Kirby Bentley did a knee. Yeah, and... Uh, I really hated that game. Yeah. I it, thought it was 
poorly kind of put together. Um, it was in the middle of the VFLW season slash finals. It was yeah. frustrating. Um, the teams were pulled together. It was, I don't know, I just, and I was nervous. I was really nervous yeah. because of the size of the ground and um, it just, it's, it's kind of inhospitable. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's harsh is probably It's harsh without... Without it being, without it having pomp and ceremony. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I, I think that for the men's VFL too. Oh, for, even for men's AFLM, like yeah. that, it, it's a weird ground to be at. But the area behind the benches was wonderful. It was massive. It That's was, true. there was so much noise coming off that. And I was sitting at the other side of the ground and it was just hitting in the face how much noise was coming off. So it, it was pretty awesome. And then after the final siren, the cheers were loud. <laughs> they were. Yeah. They really were. And there was so many Hawthorne people there. I'm um, As I said, I'd been working at, I think I'd either been at the G or I'd been at um, South Bank because I do ABC Grandstand yeah. and I had been wrangling like, can we do the show <laughs> from the from the ground or whatever? And I was watching. I was look. I was on air, but I was watching the first <laughs> two quarters on my phone or the first quarter in a bit, and then I just made a run for it. Yeah. Um, but my husband had. Um, I was like, you've got to take the girls. We've got to be there. You know, the, during that season, for the first game we played against Essendon out at Windy Hill, and I was sitting in the stands, and I was there with my three daughters, and I was there with my two sisters. And I just thought we're watching Hawthorne yeah. women's play, and I have a photo from that day, and I really cherish it. There's so many. Mo- there's been so many moments in AFLW and and women's football history that have you know warmed my heart. But yeah. that was a really significant one for my family. Yes. So we well, let's talk about the game. So Hawthorne, you mentioned Hawthorne's defence. Their defence combined with their ability to goal in every quarter, that was significant to the result of the game because it was just a constant barrage and Geelong just couldn't break through that defence. That six-player defence just wouldn't let them through and they just couldn't score. No. I thought Mia Ray Clifford was pretty good. Yeah, I'm really sad that she's not on the list next week. <laughs> yes. I thought, she, um, I thought she was showing flashes. I thought she played really well last yeah. season in the AFLW, but when I think back to that game, she was a real pest. Yeah. Like she was she was the one. And I think when she she misses a goal, a set shot in front of goal, I think if she'd got that, it could have been a completely different game. Yeah. Because, um, again, Geelong, they just missed their goal, goaling opportunities. But they were peppering the points. Yeah, which is what they'd done the week before, but it mm. had come off. Um, it was very tight. For mo- it felt very tight. Even if the scoreboard shows a more than two goal difference, it felt very tense the whole game because it could have turned on a dime. Um, but the Cats won the clearances in the inside 50s, but I think, yeah, that Hawks defence was overwhelming in a confidence-sapping way as well, I think. It wasn't just that they were rebounding. It was that it was so constant for Geelong that it was just lacked energy after that. Yeah, it was really interesting to see the moves. Um, Perkins was moving between playing forward and going and playing ruck, and so was Lou Wooden. Yeah. Um, they were moving them around. Um, Jess Sibley was really – she was a really interesting person to watch that that game. Um, she's had – she has so much footy cred. Yeah. Um, and she was – she was – I felt like she was rolling the dice down back, you know, like she was having fun. But she she was probably um, – she probably doesn't love that game, I, I reckon. I reckon she probably – but she she was um, – she was really important to setting up that next – that next rung of yep. defenders. Um, Chantella Pereira, of course, was outstanding. Yeah. She was beyond outstanding. But when you get the touch of like a best – 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Beeson, down to a Pepper Randall. The ball just the ball just flies. And then if you've got Meg Hutchins sweeping and picking things up, yeah. you know, she's so accurate when she kicks and she's such a long kick. She can kick it to a contest. Um, and I felt like no one was really taking grabs on that day. It was always yeah. coming to ground. But, you know, even, even Sarah Perkins was doing some amazing um, kind of like a, a drifting kind of she was kind of just tapping. I just felt like she was tapping all day, <laughs> tapping the ball out, which is not a great possession, you know, not a great champion data stat, but she made such a difference yeah. and she uses her body so beautifully. She gets rewarded with the most amazing goal, yes. <laughs> which was probably a free kick anyway, but because um, it was really high on her. But, um, but you know, Nina Morrison was also, she was significant on that day. Yeah. Um, she looks like a baby version of Nina Morrison yeah. when you watch the game back. She's, you can see how f- far she came in, a, in just a couple of months it would have been and then, of course, that ultimate horrible ACL. <laughs> but, so. you know, I thought she was really impressive in that um, practice match against Carlton before the AFLW season kicked off this year. Yeah. Um, there were two 2019 AFLW cats that had a big influence for Hawthorne and we mentioned Phoebe McWilliams who had 12 touches and took six marks, which is huge, Yeah, on in a game that was largely ground ball based. She didn't get a goal. Did she get a goal? No. I don't think she got a goal, but she was so important. Yes. And then Julia Crockett-Grills, who was fantastic for Geelong's AFLW team this year, she had 12 touches and were just really influential in the, the way she used the ball, I think. Yeah. She was really niggly as well. Um, she was... If you watch her off the ball, she's constantly shepherding people out of contests. Um, she, her second and third efforts were significant and, of course, that's why she gets picked up by the Cats to yeah. play. Yeah, and um, I think that in itself is emblematic of women's footy as a whole is that you take the opportunities you're given, you play hard for that team and then you progress in a way and it was a really nice juxtaposition between the older players who have been stalwarts and aren't on AFLW lists, the young talent, Nina Morris and Olivia Purcell, coming through Jade Van Dyke, who got picked up, mm. and then kind of those middle-rung players who have are probably a little bit older, have been battling through a little bit, and this season allowed them to take that next step after having 
been kind of around for a while. Yeah, it felt like um, it felt like everyone was holding each other up for, yeah. th- for their different reasons. And you know, Tamara Luke, mm. she really stamped her authority on that game. She's now the captain, um, but. I saw in that game, like, she's a fierce competitor and um, I thought she really was patrolling that game. I thought she really stepped up. She had nerves of steel um, and I don't think that they tagged, they didn't tag her. They didn't, no no one really expected her to have that much impact. She was really significant. Like, I love love our Liz because the other thing is Olivia Flanagan, like she's just like a little pocket rocket. You don't know what you're going to get from her. Um, Emerson Woods as well. Like yep. they just fl- they just fly at the ball. They yep. had no concern for their own well being or safety, yep. and they just they throw themselves at contests. And I don't. I think they were pretty untapped. People didn't know really what to expect from them. Yeah, and this was kind of a game that allowed them to showcase themselves as well. Yeah, I, I think the same of Olivia Purcell actually. Yeah. Like, she was outstanding. She was really good. <laughs> like scary good. Yeah. Um, so it ends up obviously Hawthorne winning four six thirty to Geelong's two five seventeen, and the award ceremony was beautiful. <laughs> um, Chantella Pereira obviously winning best on ground. Um, it was the wherever Lisa Hardiman medal. Yeah, and as you said, like her direction of the backline was like we've not seen probably from her before. No. Because her speed meant that she could um, – her second efforts were actually paying off yeah. on every occasion and her height was really significant as mm. well on that day. Um, she was – she had one of those days where er, she just managed to get every grab that she went for. Um, she had beautiful touch. She has beautiful skills. Um, and she just looked really athletic. She yeah. looked like um, – I mean, she's a basketballer, but she kind of looked like a long-distance runner. Like she had yeah. these, these long – she was just chasing people down in the most effortless way. And that's why I think it's so unfair that she hasn't been picked <laughs> up because I actually think like she's an amazing defender, but she could play anywhere. Yeah. She'd be so valuable because her height is so significant. She's mm. got such good um, touch of the ball. You can see that she's had a lot of experience um, in like competition, just in competition. Like she's got a, a good – Brain. She's yeah. thinking ahead of where the ball's going to go. And we go. all know how much commentators love ex-basketballers playing footy. <laughs> they do. You know, Rocky Cranston was an interesting one in that game. Yeah. Because I don't know if it was the catalyst for what she went on to do because she just didn't have – she didn't have the fire in her in that game that I had seen, that I saw last season yeah. for Geelong. And I want. She just looked a little down on confidence. She wasn't. She wasn't the Rocky that we know her to be now. She, but I don't even think she was the Rocky of Melbourne. Do you, no. Did you think that? She's a. She's an interesting character where she started out just as another player, mm. and then there was the big talk in the second season about her losing the weight, getting fitter because she wanted to run through the midfield at Melbourne, and then she kind of yeah dropped off in the VFLW and then came out in the preseason. Scary. Destroying people yeah. and getting suspended. It was just yeah. like. Yeah, and I would have expected to see that, I think, in that game. When I yeah. look back on it, like I, I didn't really notice her on the day, I have to be really honest, but yeah. when I look back on that game now, I'm like, oh, she wasn't as fierce as I probably expected her to well, be. Well, she normally is that yeah. we know her to be. Yeah. yeah. So, so maybe it was a catalyst for her aggression. Yeah. Uh, not ne- necessarily bad aggression, but moving into preseason of the AFLW competition this year. But, yeah, it's interesting. But I do want to touch on the significance you think this game had on Hawthorne as a club and its evolution into 
2019 season and then looking forward? Well, this season hasn't gone the way that we thought it would go. Um, there's a lot of personal stories. We know that it comes out of that grand final. Is It's the first grand final win that Meg Hutchins gets after playing footy for 400 yeah. years. And she retired from um, AFLW. So this is her joy to play VFLW. Yeah. Um, that her fiancé at the time, now wife, was playing in the same team, Steph Carroll. Oh, who, I didn't know yeah. that. So Steph is has been, she's like fourth generation Hawthorne. She's as yeah. crazy brown and gold as you could ever find. Steph getting signed to that Hawthorne team, I feel, is she's living out my dream. Like that's, she's an amazing um, human. She's an unbelievable advocate for women. Mm. Um, She has a whole other life that's not football, but um, she and Meg met at football and they, and she was the reason I, I expect that Meg kind of got introduced to Hawthorne and she just loved it there. So that that Steph's in the leadership group, she's the kind of person that you would want your girls to grow up to be like. Yeah. Um, I can't overstate how significant she is for in a team situation. Yeah. Um, and she played a great game. She did. She played a role. She would have had, like, two jobs to do. She did them. She was, like, it's really significant for her family that she yeah. was playing in the first ever Hawthorne um, women's win oh. and um, her whole family were there. So I loved seeing her get that win. For Emma Mackey, um, her, just her mad skills at an ath- being an athlete yeah. are extraordinary. Um, and we are missing her this year. Um, a lot and she was a great person to have at the helm for last season. So I'm really glad that she got to be the captain in that inaugural Hawthorne year that also is a grand final year. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's a story too and she'll go and play her footy at St Kilda and I can't wait to see her really shine because in that game, in that grand final, like, I mean, the the fact that she, she kicks a goal that you don't really expect is yeah. going to come. Um, it just demonstrates what she's got, you know, in her kit bag. And I don't really think that that was explored much at the Bulldogs. I think she's got a lot more to give to the competition. She needs the conditions and the support to be there for her. And I think yep. that we'll see that at St Kilda. Um, but what I think is most significant about that grand final is that it demonstrated that um, we're a destination club, even though we don't have a licence. Yeah. That we treated people right and they responded, that women's football is not the same as men's football. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. That Patrick Hill could have this unbelievable, like, emotional intelligence that brought the players along for the journey and that those players have elected to come back, whether they are signed to GWS or Geelong or Carlton, they've said, no, this is where we want to play our footy and those girls are bonded forever. So many of them had played so much football either with each other, against each other. Like you look at Lou, who's been, you know, playing footy for so long. I I remember seeing like a couple of weeks ago, someone posted a photo of like an under-18 championship and she's in that team and I'm like, my God, look at that. Like it's like a Chelsea Randall. Chelsea Randall, baby Alicia Eva and teeny tiny Daisy and, you know, like she's been there all along. So I was thrilled for her to get this massive win because she probably won't play AFLW. Yeah. Um, But she's a real leader. Yeah. And she's pretty dominant. Like she's an amazing person to have around the club. But I love that the baton has been handed to people like Rosie Dillon, who I just adore, and the Outer Sanctum have sponsored her for this season. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I think that there were signs in in that game that – you know, the, the people who are superstars, Pepper Randall, um, 
Beck Beeson. Oh my God, Beck Beeson is so good. Jade Van Dyke. Um, Emily Gilder, amazing player. Yeah. Um, I feel like they really got a run on. I feel like they're going to be famous names in the hall, in the club's history going on. And I love that they came back to play their footy this season with Hawthorne. Yeah. And Pepper obviously is another big one there. Mm. Um, there are a few players that I'd love to get your thoughts on you've touched on a few of them Meg Hutchins she's currently working the talent pathways correct yeah that's right and she looks after academies I think as well yeah she um is the most generous spirit um she lives eats breathes footy yeah the first time I met her she was in Collingwood gear but I liked her anyway <laughs> um she's always got a footy in her hand um she's incredibly generous with the next generation and really passionate um she's a real footy person yeah you know she's got a footy personality yeah <laughs> and I love it I really love it she sends me so many gifts <laughs> <laughs> but you know when the ball's in her hand I I have to stop myself from wanting to say to her why aren't you playing AFLW like she really is she's such a good player yeah and it's not like her skills let her down at all and forced her into anything. Um, but it's a real byproduct of this belief that you need to be fast. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of frustrates me because I think the game will change again this next this season coming up, and we don't know yet what that will look like. But um, I mean, so many of the people coming through Maddie Press Park, she can do everything. She's so fast, and she can turn. You know, Yui's and Nina Morrison amazing, and but. I think there is still room for people like Meg Hutchins with this with the footy nous. Do you think for older players as well, it's a byproduct of the seasons not running concurrently, and that meaning that you either play one league or the other, or you have a forty-something week season yeah. and it's just too much on your body. Yeah, I do think that it was interesting on the Outer Sanctum. We recently spoke to Tiana Ernst, who said, "You know, I think it was Tiana." Yeah, we spoke to Tiana <laughs> and she's playing for the Gold Coast Suns and she was saying that the timeline of AFLW is actually suiting her because it means that she can still do her work. Like she's a doctor. Yeah. So she can still work as much as she plays footy and she's got the balance. For other people, I think, you know, like Ebony Nixon, for example, who is an unbelievable talent. She just wants to play footy. She wants to play so much footy that she's that that's all she does. Yeah. Um, and that opportunity isn't there yet. Um, and it's frustrating because... For the play, like you get along to VFL games now, you want to see the superstars from the AFLW playing, but they've got this weird point system, so you never really know who you're going to be playing, like what the team's going to look like. So I think Meg Hutchins has probably played it really well Mm. that she's dedicated herself to VFLW and that she has been able to play. She had a few injuries early, but you know, that she's been able to play almost every game, yeah, um, and that she can commit herself to that. And you know, Steph Carroll's the same. You know, I think that that's yeah. the benefit of it and that's where you see the system working. But it doesn't, It doesn't. I don't think, work as a whole. I feel like it's really pilfer- – we're pilfering from what is almost the main competition for what looks like an exhibition competition, you know, when we've got conferencing and not everyone's got a team. I'm like, yeah, talk yeah. to me later. <laughs> yeah. I think while we're on the topic of the two competitions running separately from one another – I think my biggest issue is when you do get dropped for form in the AFLW competition, where do you prove that your form's back? Well, you can't. you can't drop back to have a really good game in the seconds and come back into the team. You just have to train well. Yeah. And that's my biggest thing because there's just not that opportunity. Anyway, it's my gripe. I also think that that we should be playing 18 aside. I think it's complete bullshit. Anyway. (laughs) There's a lot of bullshit. (laughs) But we support them anyway. Um, Jade Van Dyke's an interesting one because she won the Hawks BNF. Um, in this season, and she then got picked up 
by a team that you have an association with. <laughs> yes. Um, and then she got to play in another grand final. Yes. Not as successful, but still. She is a hard-nosed competitor, Jay Van Dyke. She's a hard person to kind of permeate. Like, she's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, I think she's um, she's such a fierce competitor. Yeah. And she's so solid. You would always trust her. I just think that she really stamped her um, kind of mark on the competition. I think that, you know, she is someone that lots of recruiters would look at and yep. think if we had someone like that down back, she's just solid. She's yeah. like a Chris Langford type. And she's young, so it's not like she's she's got that cool head even though she's not been around footy for 30 years. It's yep. just – that's just how she is. And she has no swag. She's just – she turns up – She's she just does the job. She works really hard yep. and she's really solid and um, she doesn't – she has no – Oh, she's just a, what's the word? Ego? Yeah, no ego. She's just a solid human. Yeah. Like she's an awesome person and her game is developing and she works really hard and she gets rewards for the work that she does. Yeah. I feel like being a defender is probably a bit of a thankless task, to be honest, in a game where we just cherish goals so much. You can't really have ego as a defender. Well, I don't reckon you can. I mean, men can, but I haven't seen many women. <laughs> no. Can you have ego as a ruck? If you're Brody Grundy, you can. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's that's all about. Maybe that's Max a hair, That's a strong hair game. Yeah. <laughs> um, Phoebe McWilliams, well. who has now played GWS, she's played in Geelong and in in this really important Hawthorne team. Her voice is surprising. It surprises me every time I hear her speak. It's like Dave Beckham. Yeah, it's yeah. very. It just like gives you a jolt. She's adorable. Yeah. When she talks, you just want to wrap her up and snuggle her. She's adorable. But she's so fierce she's on so the field. She's so fierce on the field. She's played so much football. She knows nearly every like everyone out there yeah. knows Phoebe. She's played with everyone. Um, I think the GWS thing was great for her, you know, and that I love that they allowed her to go back to Hawthorne from Geelong and that they allowed her to go back to Hawthorne from GWS, that she really loves playing her footy with the Hawks. Um, she is the most striking um, forward, I yeah. reckon her hands are so clean. She gets so much elevation, but the, her hand, like the extension of her hands when she reaches up to get the footy, she fully extends to the tips of her fingers. Her yeah. technique is beautiful to watch. Takes and it at the highest point. She marks it at the <laughs> highest point all the time. She's really hard to catch on a on a lead as well. Yeah. Like, and that's very old school. That that Phoebe that Phoebe lead is so um, – it's her trademark and it's so old school footy. It reminds me of an old Jason Dunstall, yeah. you know, kind of those early really strong leads and she's she'd be really hard to play on. Um, I feel like she deserved to get some goals in this grand final <laughs> that we're talking about because she she set up so much play. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah, the work rate so thing good. that we talked yeah. about. Very yeah. important. She got injured at the start of the AFLW season, which is so disappointing. She didn't get to play first game, I don't think. No, and then she hurt her hand yeah, late in the surgery. season. Yeah. So she didn't get to play in the final. So that's that was really frustrating, but she'll be back. Yeah. Yeah. The oh, little person. She's gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another character that I think we've gotten to know a little bit better this year, but didn't know as well last year is Pepper Randall. Um, she was a really important part of this team and she she's Really fascinating as a person, I think. She's so smart. Yeah. She's so smart. She's got all sorts of things going on in her backstory. Um, she's really smart. She 
I think she's sick of the burrito business. I forgot about that. Yeah, I love the burrito business. <laughs> um, she's just a cool cat. Yeah, she's so cool. She's been um, she's been in and out of the team this season. She had a few a few little niggles and stuff. To be honest, she's one of those players that I just pinch myself and go, I cannot believe she plays for Hawthorne for yeah. the Hawks. So she's amazing. Um, I find her terrifying to watch when she's playing for GWS. She's yeah. so scary, and she's I reckon she gets a bit on the lip like a bit chatty and um, gets a bit angry and I'm not entirely sure what she says, but when she's wearing brown and gold, my God, I couldn't love her more. The combination of her and Ellie Brush at GWS <laughs> is terrifying. terrifying. <laughs> Just I wouldn't want to be stuck between yeah. the two of them. Yeah. She's funny. She didn't get um, – I don't think she – I don't think she played her best game in the grand final, but I think mm. she probably um, fulfilled exactly what she was asked to do. Yeah, and I think her story of hard work is a, a slightly different one to a lot of other women's footy play, like yeah. footy players, and I think that provides us a little bit more context to it as a whole as well. So I'm really uh, pleased that she was willing to share that story with everyone. Yeah, I also think she's someone who doesn't really give a shit what people think about yeah. her, and that's a lesson that I could definitely learn from her. I yes. really, you know, and you know, someone else that we haven't talked about is. Um, Tani Nesta. Yes. She played a cracking game. She's not playing for Hawthorne this season, but I thought she was pretty special in that grand final. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lou Watton is someone that you did mention, yeah. but she's she's a name that, as we said, they're probably AFLW fans probably don't know her, but her significance in terms of developing women's footy is huge. Yeah, it's huge. She's such a great leader, and um, I feel like she's the unofficial captain of the entire club. Yeah. Um, she's a really impressive um, when she speaks to rooms and when she speaks to people, mm. um, she's, you know, she's so tall and yeah. she towers over everyone. But she brings, you know, she really brings that working class historical women's footy vibe yeah. to the to the, you know, just you feel like she's played so much footy where there's no one watching. She's yep. played on the worst grounds with the worst umpires in the worst conditions yeah. for teams that maybe didn't get to play in the finals. Like you just feel like she's been there. She's been in the trenches. And so I loved seeing her play at Docklands. I was like, oh, yeah, she deserves this. But also no ego, zero ego. Yeah. Yeah. And just epitomises women's footy. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure she was close to best on ground at the, yeah. um, at the party afterwards. <laughs> uh, Beck Beeson, obviously big GWS star. She broke out in AFLW terms this year, but she was a really important part of this team as well. Yeah, she's so athletic. Mm. Um, you know, you can kind of um, – you can mistake her size and kind of – underestimate her. She's so fierce. She gets into the bottom of packs. Um, she will always go and get her own ball, which I think is really important in women's footy because it's not kind of standing around. Like yeah. she's she really attacks the ball every contest. Um, there's so many times that I'm watching her and I go, is that Beck Beeson or is that Chantella Pereira? Because she's, she's not as tall as Chantella, but she looks yeah. enormous on the field, you know, and the long ponytail kind of looks similar. Um, she's really athletic. She can get to contests really quickly and she can transition from an attacking to a defending kind of stance. You know, yep. she can pivot really quickly. I think she's um, – I think her best footy is to come. I really mm. hope that she gets really the opportunity to play finals with GWS because she's really committed to that team. Yeah. And she's really committed to the Hawks as well. She works at Hawthorne. 
So we see her around a bit. I'm really glad that she came back. I know it probably wasn't an easy choice to make, but she really chose that to come back to Hawthorne. So um, I think that they probably see her as, you know, the real future of this team. Yeah. She's elite. Yeah. I I think the thing that stands out with her for me is her repeat efforts. It's not, I've lost the ball, move on. She is constantly involved in games and you can look at her disposal and see she's got a high disposal, but that's because she's worked so hard getting from contest to contest to do all that stuff, as you said. She's the reason I want to watch footy. That's a pretty big... Yeah, it's pretty big, but, like, she's the reason that you go, like, oh, my God, she did that, and then she did that. Oh, she's still going, (laughs) you know, and her skills are great. Like, she's, you know, I didn't feel in that game the skills, you know, there was a few out of bounds on the full and a couple of missed goals and stuff like that but but I thought the Hawthorne skills were really good and they'd really stepped it up from the season before which is a club-wide yeah. desire I guess yeah. as well um and the last one Emma Mackey she was the captain she has been a cyclist there's a lot of different stories about her but from you her influence on this team really significant I think mostly in game mode yep. because she's such a com- she's so competitive but you can't forget that she's played an individual she's been like an individual athlete so I think there would have been challenges for her to work out what this team business was all about you yep. know she I mean I assume she's played lots of other sports as well because she just has that look about her but yep. um I think that when she steps up she steps up and it's on the scoreboard yeah and that's the kind of captain that you go like well I'll just I'll follow what she's doing. Yeah. You know, like you, I remember hearing those stories about Lily Myth and following Daisy Pierce around and just, you know, trotting around behind her, copying everything she did. I feel like um, Emma Mackey is so single, like her single focus on being the best athlete she can be is something that if I was a young person at the club, she's the kind of person I'd attach myself to. Yeah. She's such a good human and she's not, you know, she's not completely, she's not loud and overt and, you know, like she's not Abby Tanner type who is yeah. just like the, like the foghorn of Hawthorne and I adore her. <laughs> and that's the other thing, you know, like, you know, players like that who didn't get to play in this um, team and, you know, Diana Haynes, who's been an absolute stalwart of um, women's footy and Mel Kyes, they both got injured the week before and couldn't play in the granny. And, you know, the other girls who were in the squad, the love for this team was significant and I know that it really hurts to miss out on being in the team that plays on the day but they were just so supportive and all season I saw them on the sidelines especially big shout out to Abby Tanner who would run water and yell encouragement and you know I just remember saying to her you're doing all the right things by the time she's played heaps of games this year and they're just all learning from each other so it was a beautiful cohesive like everyone mucked in and got the job done and so to get the ultimate reward felt like a storybook yeah ending should we end it on that I mean, I could talk about this forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming. I really, really appreciate it. This has been fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so fun, but I feel like it's been totally indulgent. and people. No, but that's exactly what this show is all about. Exactly. Yeah, okay. I mean, did a whole episode on the Swans 2005 final series. That's just what this show is. Delightful. Best. Delightful. Um, this has been, I see it, but I don't believe it. That has been Emma Race. I will link you to the Outer Sanctum podcast and other Emma things in the show notes and on our socials. Definitely listen to the Outer Sanctum if you haven't been following all my tweets that you should listen to it. Um, I've been Gemma. Thank you. 
Thank you, I've been Emma. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll catch you soon with another episode of I See But I Don't Believe It on Play On Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.